Welcome to the Customer Experience Podcast. We're here for one reason, getting you closer to your customers. Some of the biggest companies in the world have evolved their strategic focus so they're genuinely and empathetically solving their customers' problems every day. The organizations that build those deep and trusting relationships, really getting intimate with their customers, outperform others in their industry. Each episode, the Customer Experience Podcast will help you and your organization take one step closer to that relationship. Welcome to show number two. If you haven't listened to our first episode about what CX really means, Mike did a great job of really telling the story of what CX can do for an organization and how to really define it. It's a great place to start before you dive into this week's episode or any of the future episodes that we have. So if you haven't already taken a listen, pause here, go back, find episode one, and then come back and rejoin us. So today's episode answers another burning CX question. What do you do if you have a CX issue? Or as like Mike likes to say, what do you do when you have a CX opportunity? And I think, Mike, that might be the best place for us to start is to ask that question. What kind of pain does an organization feel when they have a CX problem? How might they know that there's a CX issue or an opportunity there to be uh, to be focused on? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> the two most obvious areas that you can start with is just the understanding of customer loss. And so whether that's, you know, churn between products or churn between services or just flat out loss to a competitor, that uh, retention issue and churn issue clearly indicate some form of customer experience, whether that's a a price product or just flat out service and support issue uh, that comes to mind. The second area would be, um, you know, wallet share. Clearly, where you might capture, call it five or ten percent of a of a customer's wallet share, um, but you are not finding the ability to capture more of that wallet share, can help indicate opportunities to improve experience. Again, whether that's around product quality, uh, service quality, or various touch points. And then clearly the third area would just be flat out voice of the customer, whether you're seeing things on social and sentiment is poor, or you're seeing things in relationship surveys where net promoter score, if you're measuring that might be low, or just even post interaction surveys with customer care uh, and contact centers where satisfaction may be an indicator of being poor. Let's talk about churn for for a second. When does churn become a concern for an organization? How how painful does it need to be? A lot of companies will will ignore churn and retention at uh, some point if um, acquisition and and upfront uh, revenue generation is going well. They just tend to ignore it. Right? It tends to be when companies are realizing that revenue is going down, trending down, they're not acquiring new customers or additional wallet share, that it becomes painful enough to recognize that you have an issue. And oftentimes it's it's too late at that point because those issues that are causing a customer to churn or leave are probably becoming so prolific after the sale that to turn that around, it's going to require a transformation versus a tweak. All right. I, you know, it's interesting because in our last uh, podcast episode, you mentioned as you're defining CX that CX is really a customer retention strategy. And one of the things that that really stands out when you talk about this and when we've talked with clients about this in the past is, well, what can CX do for customer acquisition? Well, where does customer acquisition fit in this? How can you help me get more customers? How can you help me grow faster? 
So I think, you know, first and foremost, as we talked about briefly last time, you, you have to consider customer experience as a retention first strategy. It has a mindset and belief of the leadership that acquiring a customer, a net new customer, is five to 25 times more expensive, as the research shows, than retaining an existing one. It, it assumes that you understand that customer experience, if you make the sales process, the onboarding process, the support and service processes very effective and efficient for the customer outcome, it assumes that you've got that mindset in place that retention is going to bring lifetime value, additional wallet share from that retention. And when you want to introduce new products and services or grow into new market uh, areas or segments, that you have that advocacy from your existing customer base, your existing brand to do so. It's how Amazon has grown. It's how Virgin Atlantic grew. It is being very good and capable at what you promised yesterday so that you can use that advocacy to grow in the future. Now, again, it doesn't mean that you can't use a good customer experience for immediate growth and acquisition strategies, but if you don't follow that retain, grow through wallet share, and grow through market share kind of cadence, it's going to be really, really difficult if it's not easy to do business with you historically with those products and services to gain that advocacy to grow. It's just... Bad reputation, bad brand, bad outcome, bad experience. Why would I give you the opportunity to introduce new products and services or more of them if you couldn't deliver on what you promised yesterday? Yeah. If your cable company introduced some new line of service to you, would you really go out and go, oh, yeah, I definitely want this from this cable company that's been torturing me for four years, but I have no other option to go to or your cell phone provider? Uh, there's there are probably a few industries out there right now that are like that where there's sort of a monopolization and they can kind of have bad service. But what we're seeing in the market and research is showing is that customers, whether they're in B2B or B2C, they're going out and they have so many more options. The barrier to entry to be able to go and buy a new product or consider a new service is so low. And the barrier to entry for competitors is so low that it's really easy to constantly keep your eyes open for, for something new. Yep. Absolutely. What I found interesting was uh, looking at the statistic, uh, you know, a 2% increase in customer attention has the same effect as decreasing costs by 10%. And when you factor that in, there's, uh, you know, I think often a resistance in organizations, particularly legacy organizations, to invest in big projects or, or big new initiatives because they're trying to find ways to cut costs. But when you look at it that way, being able to uh, to invest in customer retention really has a, a huge impact in the bottom line um, that just doesn't come just from from cost cutting. Most organizations that have that mindset that you're talking about and this this understanding that that two percent increase in retention has that same effect of a ten percent cost reduction is that they've learned that really good service and support portions of their organization. And kind of the new term of, of old account management known as customer success, those are assets to the organization, not an expense. 
at the SG&A level. It's either part of the cost of goods sold or it's an asset that's invested into. And so that is a, a pretty critical mindset and shift for companies today too. So uh, in my position of working with a lot of uh, marketing and sales organizations or working with the marketing and sales parts of the organization when it comes to customer experience, one thing that I hear a lot, especially from the sales team is price is the reason that customers are leaving. It's price, it's price, it's price. But there's a lot of research out there that show that price isn't the main reason for for customer churn. It's it's actually customer experience. Can you talk a little bit about what your experience has been like um, looking at that and, and helping companies reduce customer churn, particularly when maybe the, the thought is, oh, we just need to reduce our prices or we need to find a, a more efficient way to get this to customers and, and then we'll get those customers back. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of examples out there that highlight this and, and there's a an aged old true and true commodities provider that provides uh, wire um, magnet or magnet wire to uh, electrical vehicles. Think of of vehicles that run like Tesla. They use this magnetic wiring and it's a a manufacturer that realized that they couldn't continue to compete on price, certainly in a space like that 100-year-old company, one of the most commoditized products out there. Right. And um, they looked at more about the pain points that were associated with uh, their customers that they supply this manufactured wire to. And they realized that those customers had significant issues with um, logistics, technical support of said manufactured device or product. Um, ability to manage the supply chain logistics and inventory logistics of that supplied wire. And so what they did is they built a set of professional services around uh, high-tech and and service support around that wire. They built infrastructure services and supply chain services around inventory management and last-mile delivery, warehousing capabilities, and found a way to bundle that price, if you will, not just into the cost of the existing wire, but into a fee-for-service structure that allows them to talk about value that they provide to those companies versus arguing and hassling over just the price of you know this commoditized uh, wire um, product. And the thing I love about that story is they're really trying to get at a solution there that's about understanding customer pain, how to make it easier for them to do business, not just how to make it easier to buy. And I think what we see a lot with companies like that is, oh, we need to make it easier on our companies. And they go to buy our product and they start talking about how can we build an e-commerce site or how can we make it easier for them to buy direct from us. But it's not just that. It's about really understanding what your co- your customer's pain truly is, and then solving it for them in ways that make sense, in ways where That's you right. have expertise or it makes sense for you to build out that expertise. That's right. And then typically you'll hear things back like, well, how do we prove the, the value of these said services when really all they need from us or wanted from us is that, that wire product in this case? And I think you know, you got to be creative in some, some cases. Um, but you know, there's things like outcome-based pricing and figuring out ways to not, uh, charge quote unquote upfront if that's a big hurdle, if price does still become an issue. So there are ways uh, it's risky to do outcomes-based pricing, but there's a lot of companies that are approaching those types of models to 
burned down an already cost-sensitive market. When it comes to the, this sort of customer retention and wallet share focus, are there any types of companies where that doesn't matter or that, that shouldn't be their main focus right away? Like I think of a lot of startups that we work with. They are so focused on customer acquisition and starting to build a market for their product. Should they have the same sort of focus on CX as some of these legacy companies where customer retention, deepening customer relationships are, are so much more critical. Sure. So I think, you know, you can you can grow by acquisition and, and growth, obviously, in the upfront stages of just getting new customers. Right. And that tells a, an interesting story. But the ability to to turn around and, and look at your true profit and the cost of returns and the cost of churn and, and that sort of thing is going to eventually catch up to you. So while it may be appropriate, excuse me, for a startup or a new brand or a new business to focus heavily on those sales and acquisition strategies, you're still going to, like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, run into those issues that if you don't handle the post delivery and onboarding service and support and last mile delivery and product performance and all those other things that occur after the sale, it's eventually going to get to a point where you've got such a big churn issue and you're blinded by the fact that you're pulling in so much revenue that you're going to have to focus heavier on standing up retention-based strategies and you know continuous improvement strategies to get after things. So I think it's just fundamental that Companies have to, you know, balance out those things, but you know you can't ignore one over the other uh, by any chance. By any chance of the means, and I think it, it really just comes down to you know that executive leadership around prioritization and focus. I see this a lot from the position again. I'm I've been in working with a lot of marketers and salespeople. Is they're making the promise, right? They're out there putting the brand out, they're putting the offers out, and they're making a promise about what a product can do, what a service can do. And they are increasingly being held accountable for revenue and for sales and for what that means. But there's this whole other side of it of, okay, you can make that promise. I can make that promise to you that I'm going to come over. I'm going to help, you know, uh, harvest the tomatoes on, on the farm, Mike. But if I don't show up or I show up and, you know, I just, I'm on my phone the whole time, then I'm not really living up to that promise. And, the uh, the reputation that I'm going to have with you, the likelihood that you're going to ask me back to come and help you harvest those tomatoes is pretty low. And everyone in the organization needs to be a part of that conversation of, okay, great, we can make that promise, but it's got to be fulfilled on the other side. And sometimes there's great fulfillment and there needs to be a better promise, but all of those things seems to really need to work together. Absolutely. And I would share a personal experience that we had a couple of years ago with the, the bed and bag uh brands that are out there. There's multiples out there. I'm not going to say who it was, but uh, we purchased two new bed and bags for uh, mattresses for two of our boys. And um, just an incredible pre-purchase experience from the the digital experience, the online experience, the question response support and the sales kind of cycle and making a decision the ability to receive some discounts based on two versus one uh, mattress. Everything was great. Placed the order, and over the course of uh, the next three to four weeks, somehow um, it was only one bed that I ordered, 
or one mattress. The ability for them to track down where my second mattress was, was all but lost. Took three or four calls to a support team that really had no idea about the inventory or the order. Um, long story short, the, the beds came um, two or three weeks late. One of them came six weeks uh, late. And that just entire experience on the post sales process, the last mile delivery, their supply chain and inventory capabilities clearly were not invested and connected. It was as decentralized as you could get from warehouse to inventory to sales teams um, that I could imagine. And, and that's a great example of a company over-investing in acquisition. Now, we kept the mattresses, so they got the sale, but I will not buy from them again, nor would I recommend them. And there's the the big key there too, right? It's, uh, you know, the mattress industry, it takes a while for you to The repurchase cycle is pretty long. But if you're not going to go out there and say, hey, this bed in a bag mattress is great. You should go with them, especially in the competitive marketplace where there's lots of companies like that. There's lots of options. You can go to a store. There's there and it's it's getting more uh, even getting more competitive. If you don't have that in place, what's going to happen to that company in the long term? And I'm guessing they're probably not not doing too well right now if that's what the experience has been for for a lot of their customers. That's right. And even and I think the important thing on that is as a closer to that is that the boys love the beds. They're comfortable. They definitely from a product quality standpoint seem to be holding up. But, you know, that pain that I had, I'm not willing to go recommend to others. To your point, there's many of other competitors out there that are doing that whole, you know, front to back customer experience better. And, and you can go and look at all of these user reviews and you can say to, to anybody who asks you, well, go and check out the user, uh, see what they say about delivery, if they lived up to it or if that's where the complaints are, because that was your, your pain point. So uh, in these organizations that might have these, um, retention issues or wallet share issues, uh, issues with customer experience, where should they be looking? What, what are the signs or what are the data points that are going to be telling them that there's a CX issue there beyond just knowing there's customer churn? How do you dig deeper into the problem? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think where a lot of companies struggle today or are just trying to figure out uh, what types of metrics and data to collect to paint this bigger story. Some companies are really good at it. Some are still struggling to get there. But you basically have two forms of feedback that you're trying to get from your customers, right? One is that unsolicited feedback, which you are not asking for feedback, but they're giving it to you in a multitude of ways. So if you just even think about how long it takes you to resolve a customer question or issue or incident, things that require more than 72 hours to get back to the customer and you're into a couple weeks with limited communication around that resolution you can start to assume that customer satisfaction and experience is obviously not positive. Uh, you can take a look at the number of open incidents and cases that you might have in a contact center or even in a sales cycle process and start to assume that the number of open cases or incidents is a correlation to positive and negative customer experience. You can, you know, look at, uh, you know, certainly sales transactions up front versus returns and complaints on the backside. What's that ratio and percentage of purchase to return or purchase to complaint? 
Um, those types of things, uh, including even just, you know, late delivery or substitutions and cuts in an order, meaning I purchased A, but either we don't have it and realized it when you showed up at the store or last minute or when it was delivered, or I was substituted something different, maybe similar product, but not exactly the same thing. Um, also starts to correlate to customer experience. So you have a lot of these unsolicited things that you got to do better at collecting and telling the story from operational data, from transactional data that most people don't think about or that's typically reported on within just a department for a specific re- reason. The second big area then is solicited feedback, and that's obviously where you're you're moving from maybe a relationship survey that's out there Um you know, on a monthly or quarterly or in most cases a yearly basis to some kind of post interaction call or interaction contact survey. So I just left the store and spoke with a salesperson. I just got off the phone and spoke with a customer service person. I just completed some interaction with said company and brand. And you can put in very quick hit was it satisfactory? What's your likelihood to recommend? Maybe if effort scores are important, how much effort did it take you? But that's it. You know, focus on gathering those what I call canary and coal mine kind of experience points. If you see trends down over a couple of weeks, you go in and start figuring out how to improve that, get in deeper into feedback, put a continuous improvement team in place. Um, you know, and so those types of sources of, of uh, solicited feedback are important. And then uh, also, you know, being more rigorous about post-closed one or post-closed lost client interviews. So either at the sale, we lost them or we won them, so to speak, or they decided to depart or uh, not stick with us and renew Um, what were the reasons for that? Have some discrete interviews. And then, you know, a lot of this then just comes back into building what I would call an air traffic control system to turn all of this data and information overload into decisions. Um, And that's a a bit of, you know, to your question, where do these data sources sit? What should you be collecting? How does that help you identify the problem? The closer you are to understanding that interaction, the faster you can resolve it. But if you sit back and wait for a year and send a relationship survey and say, how satisfied are you with this? Do you like us? What's your likelihood to recommend? It becomes lagging. Uh, it becomes a lagging indicator. It's not specific. You really have no reason or understanding of why, even if you have verbatims in there, it's not very telling on what to change about your company. So um a little bit bigger answer to your question, but I think that's a, a great you know, conversation point. The thing I love uh, about what you're talking about there is you're still soliciting customer feedback. Voice of the customer from a small VOC, lowercase VOC perspective, still really important. You want to hear from the customer. You need to be close to them. You need to be getting closer to them and, and understanding, but understanding that in real time when they're, the pain is is happening and they're making a decision of, I'm not going to use this bed in a bag mattress company again or not. That's when they're most likely to give you that feedback, that honest feedback. If you had a really bad experience and I sent you a survey four months later, how likely are you even going to open it up? I don't want to fill out a 20 
minute survey and have a chance at, you know, one in a million, no win a $50 Amazon gift card, that's not going to get me to, to tell you what's, what's really wrong. But these individual touch points, if you can set it up from an operational perspective to get it done and really reach these people at those key, those key, uh, moments of choice, that's going to make such a, such a huge impact. And then sharing it right with across the organization. Yep. And I think we see this in, in the B2B organizations we work with is, Sales team has a really long sales cycle. Finally close on the business, shake the hand, get them launched into it, and then it disappears, right? They have no idea what that experience has been like. There's not really a measurement of that experience. So when they call back in three years and they're very hesitant to to resign with them, they don't understand why and that it could have been fixed at multiple touch points along the way. But now, three years later, it's going to take a heck of a lot of work to try to keep that customer, much less try to sell something new to them right. and, and, and expand your, your services. And I think it's it's critical, too, to move away from even just touch point measurement, which is important to journey measurement, right? Because if you think of a, a customer's experience um, in, in most areas, uh, that order to receiving or delivery of service or first using the service or delivery of the product after my order tends to be a discrete journey for a customer. And there's lots of touch points around that. Maybe the ordering process was perfect and simple, but maybe there was a substitution and cut along the way. Maybe it was delayed by three weeks. Maybe it showed up damaged. Maybe the service didn't work or the product didn't work as intended or it's a disappointment in the promise, if you will, right? And so you have to be able to lift up because you could come in and say, wow, our ordering process and look at the look at the satisfaction at that ordering process. But the journey extends out, in this case, in the example, to receiving said product or service. And customers don't think so discreetly about touches. They think about certain aspects of the journeys kind of pre-sale, during the sale and ordering, and post-sale at a very macro level. And they don't see it as departmental. They see it as the the company's responsibility through the whole thing. Well, I think that's a great place for us to end this conversation and and preview what we're going to talk about in uh, in the next episode, episode three. And in in that episode, Mike and I are going to talk about getting started with uh, customer experience in your organization, how to start tackling issues that affect uh, your customers and your company, and whether you're an executive at the top of the organization or you're just somebody who's passionate about CX uh, somewhere down, down in it, what you need to do to get started and get moving and making changes. We want to continue that discussion with you. We want to hear from you. What questions do you have about customer experience and what topics do you want us to cover in the future? You can find us on LinkedIn. You can find me, Nick Sargent, or Mike at Michael Chandler on LinkedIn, or email us, nsargent at Standing Partnership, or mchandler at alphaleonis.consulting. And we'll talk to you next time.